Warning, you are now listening to Up in Flames. We up in flames, yeah. We up in flames, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Let me hear it, Lambo. We up in flames. We up in flames. We up in flames. Yeah, we up in flames, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We up in flames, yeah. Yeah, uh, we up in flames, hold on, uh, check this go We up in flames, yeah, uh, we up in, uh, yeah, yeah, we up in flames, yeah Woo. We up in, uh, yeah, we up in flames, we up in flames What's going on everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Up in Flames As always, I'm your host, Mo Murphy Obviously, host of the Up in Flames podcast, VP of the Off the Ball Network. Speaking of Off the Ball Network, make sure you go to offtheballnetwork.com for all your sports needs and entertainment. Check out our latest articles. It's football season. We're, we're ramped up all the way. Um, basketball's a little over a month before we start kicking off camps and everything like that. So breaking the game off the balls, coming with your basketball content. Jay Stevens and Jeff Hunt. Holding down the college football content, myself included. Uh, that, that's what today's show will be about. Couch Coach and Rob covering Washington football team. Make sure you tune in to our NFL preview hosted by Cruz Island. Off the ball network NFL preview. So with that being said, let's get straight into the show. Also, prior to that, I apologize. Go to mybookie.ag using promo code off the ball. They match 50% of your first deposit up to $1,000. Yes, I said it. Our good friends over there at my bookie, they match 50% of your first deposit up to a thousand dollars. That is definitely good. Coming into football season, college football, you know, we've had week zero and week one already. Week two is coming up. NFL week one is here is about to start. So make sure you go ahead and, and place your bets, but why not do it with your good friends here? Myself, you'll be supporting myself and the rest of the family at Off the Ball Network, the best four letter. Sports network out there. I promise you'll never be disappointed with the content that we put out at Off the Ball Network. So now, now let's get straight into what we want to get into today. So this is not a diss track. This is not a, you know, these are not warning shots, but the same way that these other networks are using their guys' list to, to basically talk about it and, and give other perspectives. I'm going to use my guy, Stuart Brookin, a.k.a. Stu Pock, from the Morning Brew with Stu. So, Stu, you're my guy. I got number love. I love you, bro. But I'm using your quarterback list. You know, you you kind of put me in, in a rant mode, a little bit livid, and I, I kind of want to get this off my chest. We don't have to agree. This isn't a shot at you, but I also want to give people some context of where I'm coming from. So, my guy, Stu, uh, he put out a list, and it was the quarterback draft prospects, a rankings list. So he already put out his preseason rankings where he had everybody as quarterback prospects, you know, as, as scouts should be looking at. And so he comes out with his going into week two list. So after week one, he puts out another list and kind of, you know, made some changes uh, based on who impressed him and who didn't. So here's here's where I'm coming from with this before I go anywhere. So the context and for for you people listening like when you guys make these arguments, think about the context of your arguments. And it's not this dude didn't, but I just have a different outlook of arguments. So for the quarterback list in particular, 
when you rank a guy the number one quarterback draft prospect after what you saw from him on week one made a change, to me, you also, when we're talking about quarterbacks and we're getting prepared for the draft, you are also essentially saying that this is a guy that could be the number one pick. When we talk about a quarterback, typically the best quarterback in the country in college, uh, re- next eligible best quarterback is typically in the in the spotlight in a possibility of being a number one pick. So to me, when I saw what I saw, and we'll get into that in a second, but when I saw that, I'm like, no, because first off, I don't think he's the best quarterback prospect. Even after week one, I think I would drop him a couple of spots. And I love the list. I, I love these lists. I love when guys do them and I love critiquing them. I don't tip particularly do my own, uh, list just because like I love seeing them and I love debating them and having my own opinion, but I just don't do lists myself, but I will always react to anybody's list. And Stu does a great job with all his lists. A little controversial sometimes, but he stands by what he stands by. Uh, if you make sure you go check out his show, I know he's going to do a show about this list also but make sure you go check out the show because there's always context of where he's coming from so i'm essentially doing the same thing but we had a little talk and i you know i just wanted to put this out there so when you do label a guy that he's having the number he's the number one quarterback draft prospect when you stamp that you're like i could see this guy being the number one pick the quarterback position is the most important position and it's kind of the can't miss it's a hit or miss but it's the can't miss guy that you end up drafting that could be the face of an of a franchise quarterback the quarterback group this year to me isn't the strongest that we've seen. It has some, like my guy Walker Bailey says, it has some major upside, but I'm not a hundred percent sure how strong it is initially. So I want to get into it. Let's go ahead and get into it. I just wanted y'all to have some context of where I was coming from. So you understand where I say when I'm, when I go through and basically essentially disagree with some, some of his people and where he put them. So I want to start. You know, so going into his preseason, his list, Sam Howell was number one, JT Daniels, number two, Spencer Rattler, number three, Keaton Slovis, number four, Malik Willis, number five, Carson Strong, number six, Jaden Daniels, number seven, and De'Eric King, number eight. So mind you, these are his draft quarterbacks. So, you know, DJ Uwe Ungalale from Clemson is not going to be included in this. Uh, CJ Stroud is not going to be included in this. Any of these young quarterbacks, you know, first-year quarterbacks, Bryce Bryce Young is not going to be included in this. This is not a college ranking, but this is more so looking ahead to the NFL draft and where these quarterbacks fall as prospects. So when I see that, okay, I mean, I would have picked apart, you know, and I, I think Spencer Rattler still, when we talk about, you know, I think Patrick Mahomes has kind of changed the aspect of how we're looking at quarterbacks, period. Uh, I think I think with when we're looking at Patrick Mahomes, we're looking at guys with special arm talent that can make these off balance throws, and and it wows you. Who can make the wowing throws when when you watch them on tape and they make that throw that you're like, man, only one or two guys in the league could do that. Only one or two guys in all of college sports could do that. And I think Spencer Rattler has that arm talent. We'll get into him in a second because I still have him as the number one uh, even after week one. The man still threw 20 for 28, 304 yards, a touchdown. Yes, he did throw two picks. He had a couple plays where you're like, ah, what are you doing? What are you seeing? That's not what I want to see from, you know, the number one quarterback in the country. I mean, he's expected to be the top quarterback in the country, let alone the number one quarterback the NFL scouts are supposed to be looking at. So, you know, but we'll get into him in a second. So now we move on to this week. And so his, his list 
changed a little bit. There were some jumps. There were some drop downs. There were some new appearances. And so I want to go through and I'll go through all the way to his list. So number one is JT Daniels. Number two is Sam Howell. Three, Keita Slovis. Four, Spencer Rattler. Five, Carson Strong. Six, Malik Willis. Seven, Matt Corral. Eight, Jaden Daniels. So obviously the big one that I fully disagree with starting off is JT Daniels. Um, like I said, to, to put JT Daniels at number one as one of your top eight draft quarterbacks is just that's I, I just don't see NFL scouts after what they saw with Georgia offensively only scoring three points. I don't think they're looking at JT Daniels and say, that's the guy I want to, to turn my franchise around. And frankly, his stats really didn't match it. Like I said, their offense only scored three points. They scored 10, but you know, their touchdown was on a pick six, uh, thrown by DJ. So, uh, on the Clemson quarterback. So I don't really see like nothing wild me on tape. He didn't really make a lot of magnificent throws that would be like, okay, that he's one of the top talents and is there. I just need to see a little more. And you know, he played a tough defense, which he did. And it is week one. So it's not to overreact and say, you know, he would never earn his spot here at number one, but just with not having him number one with my guys still not having him at number one uh, to begin the season. I don't see, even though I understand he had him one and two, he had him number two. So Sam Howell did enough for him to drop, but I still don't think JT Daniels did enough to be considered the number one. And Spencer Rattler was my number one anyway. And so I would continue to keep Spencer Rattler here at number one, still threw for 300 yards. Yes. Oklahoma as a whole struggled with Tulane and he did throw two crazy picks, but sometimes we have to stop looking at, well, the school, that team struggle with that team. And we have to look at individuals' performance, especially when we're evaluating for the next level. When we're evaluating for NFL talent, you have to look at the individual performance. The defense didn't come to play. That doesn't change how good of a quarterback Spencer Rattler is. And he, like I said, he made a couple mistakes through some, his first pick, I was like, what is he looking at? You know, in the very beginning of the game, I'm like, what? And it's trying to do too much. And sometimes it's, not, you're trying to settle in, but you're coming with a crazy amount of pressure. What Spencer Rattler is doing, he has a ton of pressure on him this year to be successful. He's, he's considered the best quarterback in the country, not only in college football, but definitely looked at as being a possible number one pick. Now, he's not as unanimous as Trevor Lawrence was, um, but it's still like he's expected to be the top pick, at least the top quarterback, the first quarterback taken. There's a few defensive prospects this year that, that could change, you know, with, like I said, kind of a weaker quarterback class. There's a few defensive prospects, and you'll hear from me talking about draft prospects throughout the year, so make sure you tune in and stay tuned for those throughout all the football season and, and going into the offseason. But there's some defensive players that, that makes it real interesting. Like Chase Young goes number one if Joe Burrow doesn't have a historical year. Like, And there's a Chase Young-type player in the draft uh, that plays for Oregon, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a safety over there in Notre Dame who went viral, made one of the craziest interceptions I've probably ever seen in my life. That shows true athleticism, but the focus here is quarterbacks. And Spencer Rattler still, to me, is my number one quarterback. J, JT Daniels had 22 of 30, 135 yards, one interception. That just doesn't scream number one pick in the draft. And I get it. I keep going back to Spencer Rattler did throw two picks, but he also threw for 300, over 300 yards and had some flashes. JT Daniels to me didn't even, there weren't flashes of like, oh my God, this guy is great. We know he's a really good quarterback. We know he has some, he's talented. And I know that Georgia 
was missing a lot. And I mean a lot. I think their four receivers, two tight ends and a running back, like their starting running back did not play. So like I said, it's not an overreaction, but based off, if I'm going to move pieces week to week, this is not the week that JT Daniels ends up number one. Now, maybe they go against UAB. They go against UAB and he, you know, those for 400 yards is very possible, but it's still not going to move me a lot. It is UAB. I mean, I expect Georgia to go in there and beat the brakes off of them, get their rally back. They did beat Clemson, which was a great win. And plus, I just don't trust Georgia quarterbacks. And so with that, and I know we look at, I'm a guy, Ohio State never really produces great NFL talent, has some great college quarterbacks, uh, but never really pans out to be in the NFL. We're hoping Justin Fields can be that guy to turn it around. We thought it would be Dwayne Haskins, but obviously with some of the issues and problems that he had, he wasn't. But we look at JT Daniels, and I think like where, where my what Matt Stafford is is probably the most successful is the most successful Georgia quarterback at least of this era of this time. And a lot of them are game managers that turn out to be. I mean, if they're your backup quarterback, that's not a bad option to have. But I mean, even Buffalo had as a Georgia quarterback as their backup, and they go and get Mitch Trubisky. Like, so I just think that. Like, you know, and I think Mr. Trubisky will be a tremendous, like, that's a tremendous option. But let me stop getting carried away. Uh, But I just think, like, JT, Dan, they're game managers. They're, they never wow you with the stats, but they always win games. They play for a great program, always have a great defense, and, and they manage the game. You don't win necessarily because of a Georgia quarterback, but you don't lose. And I feel like, like, the prime example would be had Justin Fields stayed in Georgia, I'm just not sure. I'm not sure how good Georgia how, how how much they would have got out of Justin Fields. I think he was too elite, too dynamic to play into that simplistic uh, offense. They don't really have quarterbacks that can escape. And, and so he his style of play didn't fit. It fit well at Ohio State. Run pass option, you know, let him loose, get elusive in the open field. So, you know, I just, JT Daniels did not stand out to me as number one. And then we'll talk about Sam Howell because uh, he, had, he had Sam Howell drop. And so Sam Howell dropped to number two. So essentially he had JT Daniels and Sam Howell switch places. I don't put Sam Howell's performance on him necessarily. Yes, he threw some picks and he, and he made some bad plays, but that offensive line was atrocious. And so when I'm a, when I'm a college scout, like I do have to consider, you know, the, the fact that one man isn't gonna North Carolina was overrated. That that's what this week came down to is North Carolina was overrated. And the fact of the matter is that they were number 10 simply because they had Sam Howell, who was also another guy. Like it was right. I think it was Rattler Howell as a one or two man race on who you had as being the number one draft prospect and the number one quarterback in the country. So outside of that, I mean, they're not a very talented team. They showed that against Virginia tech. Their offensive line is horrible. They weren't able to protect him. And due to COVID last year and seeing guys opt out and basically some of those guys not wanting to put their health, and safety at risk that we're about to go to the draft. We saw Jamar Chase do it. You know, we saw a few players not play. Uh, we saw, you know, Trey Lance uh, uh, not play. And I'm not opposed to, you know, I know I don't think it's the same type of rules, but Sam Howe's going to the NFL. I'm not opposed if he was to say, I'm not going to spend the rest of my last year in college getting murdered, uh, getting killed by an offensive line that can't protect me and potentially ruin millions of dollars in my future. And so, I'm not petitioning and campaigning for Sam Howell to say quit on his teammates because it's if he makes that decision, 
he's gonna have to he's gonna have to weigh with what social media is gonna say, what people you know the the mainstream media is gonna say. Like, can he bear that? Can can he hang with that? Can he wear that decision on his head? And I'm not sure. You know, maybe if he is willing to, but I think that has to be a consideration. You do have to make the best decision for you. And the way they got killed, I don't know that Virginia Tech. I mean, I would hope that Virginia Tech might have the best defense in the ACC. But if they're middle of the pack as far as how you look at their defense and they still got to play Miami and who knows, even if they went out, they have to play Clemson, but it, it could be at the expense of Sam Howell getting injured with, with how obtainable and accessible he was and how exposed that offensive line was. I won't be personally upset if Sam Howell ultimately decided to say, you know what, I'm not going to play. Uh, I'm going to get ready for the NFL draft and I'm going to go through workouts um, and I'm going to get with those NFL level trainers. Yes, there's no better way to improve than to get game time, you know, reps. But, you know, I think Sam Howell at worst would be a mid to late first round if he opted out. Uh, and potentially he could ruin his stock a lot if he gets a major injury. And, and then you sit there and you'd be like, man, I put it all out. But North Carolina, they're not a New Year's six team. They're not a college football playoff team. And so, you know, that's kind of the college football playoffs is watered down where guys will make those kind of decisions uh, for the simple fact they won't. New Year's six bowl means absolutely nothing at this point. So why risk it for the New Year's six bowl? Unlike during the BCS era, you played to win those bowls, but are now the New Year's six bowls. If you're not one of the top four teams in the country, we see a lot of these top prospects not play in the bowl game. So that goes to show how how much those outside of the, you know, the two playoff games or three, however you want to look at it, how much those three games outside of that, people aren't really concerned regular season. And if they not top four, then they have some things they may play. They may not. It just depends. So I'm looking at that. And I understand if you drop Sam Howell, but I just, it's, he's a guy, he's a tough guy to have to evaluate because his offensive line is going to be atrocious. And I think, I think he's going to, you know, I think he's going to struggle a lot this year. So the guy, there's two guys on this list. That I, I would put higher, but because he he had one he had one on his list who dropped, I'm surprised. But then he had another a newcomer on the list, and so I was I do respect Stu's eye, and that's Matt Corral. Uh, Matt Corral probably played out of everybody draft eligible that's on this list right now. He probably wowed me the most and, and had the best performance. Granted, he did play Louisville, and we thought that was going to be an absolute shootout. Uh, you know, nobody we didn't look at Ole Miss as the greatest team. We knew that, but we looked at. Uh, Ole Miss and Louisville as offensive juggernauts. And that didn't turn out to be the case on the Louisville end. But Matt Corral made some amazing throws. He made some wow you throws. And so I would have him higher on this list. But the fact that he wasn't on this list and he's caught Stu's eye, all respect there. I won't argue that that much. And then Malik Willis. I, I think Malik Willis has to be top three, top four. I, I know we like to develop our own you know we like to develop our own evaluations but you know with me not being that connected I have to listen to what the draft draft scouts say in in the same way everybody fell in love with Trey Lance pre-draft is the same way they're falling in love with Willis uh and it, it's only been a week you know he's he's had a lot of hype coming into the season and he, he plays at Liberty so he has a very well chance of he could carry that team to some really good things for Liberty standards and so I, I just have, I listen when it comes to ranking him, I'll be paying close attention to what he does to see if he flames out. 
and was all hype. But with the scouts and the way they love him, an athletic quarterback, he's really he, he'll go into the draft being next year's, you know, or this year's Trey Lance. Maybe not as good, maybe not as much love, won't go as high because San Francisco traded up, got, you know, number three. And I don't know if the quarterback class is necessarily that good to, to really trade up. And Malik Willis is your guy at number three. I think he'll be a mid to late first round pick. Kind of that, but I just, the, the way the draft scouts are already talking about him, the way he's getting NFL draft buzz, I just can't ignore and I, I can't really have him outside of my top five. So like I said, Stu, I just wanted to address the list a little bit to let people know where I was coming from, you know, and things like that. But it's no diss to you. You do a great job. Uh, so y'all make sure with hearing that, y'all make sure y'all go check out Morning Brew with Stu. Puts out a lot of great content, big time into quarterbacks, especially. That is his specialty. So let, let's get into what we're here for and what I'm here for. And it's crazy because those that, that know me, and those that are watching this know I'm in Oregon colors uh, while talking about Ohio State versus Oregon. We're going to get into a couple week two matchups. There's not a lot, but a, the couple of week two matchups that stand out to me and, and could be very big for a few teams. And of course, Ohio State versus Oregon is number one. Um, I mean, Ohio State struggled. We know in Minnesota, Oregon also is coming off of struggling with Fresno State, but We'll get into the Ohio State, Michigan, or Minnesota, Michigan. We'll get into the Ohio State and Minnesota game here a little later. And it, it comes to my last point on how I'll close out the show. But Ohio State, I think they're primed for this. I think I'm not as concerned about Ohio State playing Oregon when it's at the shoe. Oregon has to come in to the Ohio State environment, which they haven't been in. In a while, uh, we would have been in Eugene last year if it wasn't for COVID and everything didn't change. But Oregon has to essentially come into Ohio State and take over, take over the game. And I just don't see it happening. Uh, Thibodeau, we don't know. We expect him to play. You know, he got injured against Fresno State, and we're not sure. I'm my thing is he may play, but I'm not sure at what capacity. Uh, is it sprained foot or ankle? Nothing for sure has come out, but it's it's a sprain to his lower extremity of his leg. And so like, I just, if he's not coming back at hundred percent and I'm not as concerned, honestly, after what I saw against Fresno state, I'm not that concerned regardless, but even if, if he's not playing at hundred percent, there's not, they have Noah Sewell who I, I do love. He stood out to me watching that Oregon and Fresno state game. A lot of people probably didn't watch that game, but you know, a guy such as myself likes to kind of scout the talent, see who we got obviously having Oregon this week. Um, and so, you know, I just, I, I, I take, or Ohio State is the spread right now, uh, is 14 and a half. I don't see it getting any much higher, maybe 17. Some people saying it even get closer, but I don't know. I think, I think people are talking themselves into this being a blowout game. I don't ever want to put that on Ohio State just for the simple fact, like that's kind of high hopes. So you do have to be realistic. We still have some questions defensively. And I think the key to the game, uh, at, at least for Ohio State, is on the defensive end and is keeping Anthony Brown in the pocket. And when I say keeping him in the pocket, is not allowing him to be in the pocket four or five seconds. But I think what needs to happen is our defensive end need to close out on the outside and basically keep him having to break down the middle 
and not be able to extend plays. Like essentially, if he can roll out to the outside and extend plays, that leaves it harder for our DBs. And I think there's some big questions around Ohio State's DB. So the longer that they have to guard these wide receivers, the tougher it's going to be on our DBs. And so I say our defensive ends just have to basically close the outside and our defensive tackles have to get there. We're a great pass rushing defensive line. We're not a great run stopping defensive line. So I think to Oregon's advantage, they do have two backs. Uh, if you want to hear more on that, go to my guy, you know, Zach McKinnell over there at the Blue Bloods. He put out a preview specifically for this game. Goes into a lot greater detail than I will. But, you know, go check them out for, for full, you know, full details on this, this preview, especially. Um, but I just think their, their two back system, it will have to, they'll have to break that defensive line kind of the same way Minnesota did. Uh, Mo Ibrahim played great. It's unfortunate that he, you know, ruptured his Achilles because he played amazing. You know, shout out to him and, and Minnesota in that offensive line. And so there's a lot of similarities to, to Oregon, but I, I don't think I'm not concerned about his, uh, Anthony Brown's arm talent. And so with that, I think if we keep him in the pocket and force him to get it out of his hands quickly, I think that'll be to Ohio State's huge advantage. And I mean, our offensive line is so great. Even if Thibodeau plays and even if he is a hundred percent, he's going to make some plays. He is that great. He is that guy. But I, overall, I just see our offense being too overwhelming. There's not a lot of defenses in the country that I would say could stop Ohio State's offense. There's, there's just not. So I'm looking at our offense and, and I mean, we have playmakers everywhere. Uh, what what was projected to be our starting running back may now be our third string running back with Master Teague. I think Mayan Williams is running back one. I think we're going to see more of Travion Henderson made big plays every time he touched the ball, caught a screen pass out the backfield, takes it for 70 yards uh, for a touchdown. So we know he's a big playmaker. Uh, Mayan Williams, 74-yard touchdown early in the game to start the game off. He's a big playmaker, home run hitter. It's almost like watching Zeke and J.K. Dobbins reincarnated in our backfield. Big, athletic, versatile bodies that can play the ground and pound game, but also can get elusive in the in the field, open field. So I'm not too concerned about what we're going to do offensively. I think now to C.J. Stroud, how he looked in the second half and the fact that he settled in, and maybe we won't be able to be as dynamic throwing the ball and kind of these skeptical plays. Maybe we have to keep it simple and, Short passes, put it in the playmaker's hands and allow them to make plays. But I think with that kind of mentality, I think Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, I mean, we have a six-man rotation that's almost untouchable at wide receiver. So, I, you know, a great offensive line to protect Stroud. So I just don't think that Oregon's defense will be able to handle it. I'm going to put a point projection on it, and I'm going to say Ohio State wins 41-24. to 24. I say we cover the spread. I say we win 41 to 24, win by 15, put up points. I say it stays close. Kind of very similar, you know, very similar game and flow of how Minnesota went. I think we'll come out firing a little bit more. I think we'll settle in, running the ball, try and ground and pound kind of in the middle of the game, maybe have a lead and just try not to lose it. And then if we have to put pedal to the metal. And I think, you know, I got Ohio State winning 41 to 24. So, before we close out with the topic that I really want to get into, I just want to talk about some other week two matchups. Some matchups you guys need to be looking out for. Won't get into too grave detail. If you do want details on these matchups, like I said, go check out the Blue Buds, my guys, Zach and Brandon. They do a good job over there. And they get into all these matchups week by week. But there's two matchups I'm looking at outside of 
what Ohio State and Oregon, and that is, I'm looking at Iowa and Iowa State, obviously, number 10 versus number 9. You know, in-state rivalry, two separate conferences. We know how gritty Iowa and Iowa State can get. We know Iowa State's coming from the Big 12 high-powered offense. Struggled a lot in week one. Struggled a lot. Would have loved to see a lot more um, from Iowa State. But then Iowa comes off a huge win against Indiana. They made, you know, Michael Penix Jr. look average to below average. And this was a guy who had some Heisman hopes. Getting a lot of buzz coming off of an ACL injury. Played great against Ohio State last year. Kind of why Indiana really got put on the map. Uh, so I would say watch out. Look, pay attention, tune in to that Iowa-Iowa State game, you know, following the Oregon-Ohio State game. And then Texas and Arkansas. Texas looked really good against Louisiana Lafayette. The quarterback looked really good. But I'm looking at they're playing an SEC opponent on the road, you know, on a, on a Saturday night. You know, matchups like that are just prime for for upsets, especially early in the season when you don't fully know Arkansas is 1-0. Uh, I don't think they're as talented as Texas, but when you don't fully know and don't fully have your identity, around week eight, week nine is when we kind of really know who the true contenders are for a national championship, what every team will be outside, barring any major upsets. But in week one or week two, you know, I think Texas could be primed to be upset. I'm not calling an upset. I actually say Texas wins 45-27. So, but I'm saying, look out. I think if Texas handles business, I think if Texas handles business, they win big time. But if they don't, if they don't go in there and play their game, they could lose. Now, granted, like I said, I don't think, I think it goes one of two ways. I'm taking Texas 45-24, but I do think that it is a very high possibility that Arkansas could come in there, derail all that. I have to wear that prediction on my chest and they win this game. So speaking of that and speaking of some of these matchups is I want to talk about the week one matchups. We're not getting into analysis. But I have a theory, and it's the strength of schedule. And I think the strength of schedule is ruining the NCAA. And here's why. The strength of schedule argument is why some of these games happened in week one that we're not used to. We're not used to Ohio State opening a game against a conference opponent on the road. Why why would a team with national championship aspirations set themselves up like that? And we're coming off of a COVID pandemic last year where there were no fans in the stands. So that's one. Then we're talking about LSU going on the road to play a power five team, UCLA, very experienced. A lot of seniors, even fifth year and a couple, six years in their starting lineup on both sides of the ball. LSU having some questions at quarterback, didn't have their starting quarterback. Now I know we can't project and predict all of these, but the fact that LSU had to go on the road to play UCLA because of a strength of schedule argument and these these power five teams need to play more out of conference power five teams and you go on the road LSU opening up when you much of rather when you have some questions you have some big questions you want to get rolling first and then you play a UCLA you want Ohio State to get rolling before they open up in conference play and you can talk about the Big Ten and the SEC and you can say the SEC is so much superior to the Big Ten and that's fine I'm okay with that but it still doesn't change that conference games are tough. Everybody in the SEC gets all this credit for winning these conference games, but Alabama rolls through the SEC every year. But we talk about everybody else is better than everybody else. But for such a great conference, Alabama rolls through that conference every year with almost 
No problem. So I don't want to hear about, but even with, I'm not going to get into that right now, but even with the big 10 opening up a conference game, like you have to play Minnesota, a, a veteran Minnesota with one of the top running backs in the country, a seasoned and veteran quarterback, a veteran offensive line, a couple draft picks on that offensive line. And you have some questions where you have a brand new starting quarterback who's never thrown a college pass, a true sophomore, never threw a college pass, ran for one big run. Uh, last season in a COVID year and, and you have some questions on defense where mi- we miss, we were missing both of our starters and, and that's okay. I don't think that's why it's close, but then you look at Alabama and Miami, Miami had high hopes on the season and to open up against Alabama, like that might've derailed what could happen for the rest of your season, North Carolina playing Virginia tech. They're playing a conference opponent on the road and everybody knows playing in Blacksburg It has a reputation. It is not easy. So for North Carolina to have to open up on the road because of this strength of schedule, because, well, they did play a really good team earlier. They did play a conference opponent early. So their first three to four games weren't rollovers is where I think it's ruining the NCAA because you've seen a lot of good competitive teams get upset. Georgia and Clemson, two teams that have high shots of making the college football playoffs. Now I think Georgia owns... Their, their path to the playoffs. In Clemson, it's out of their hands. There are multiple scenarios where Clemson could win out and that could not be enough. The ACC looked very bad in week one. So that's one. Their strength of schedule has now gone out the window. I think Clemson needed to win that game more than Georgia did because Georgia could have one loss, win out, win their conference, and that means they probably beat an undefeated Bama. They're in. The SEC champ is probably in anyway, but... Under that circumstance, like where now Clemson's winning out and they're preying on other teams' downfall. They're hoping Oregon beats Ohio State and Oregon ends up not being able to run the table in the Pac-12 and win, be undefeated champs. They're hoping Ohio State's not undefeated Big Ten champs. They're hoping Oklahoma takes a loss and there's not an undefeated Big 12 champ. And they're also hoping that maybe Georgia throws one away at some point, and I don't see a team that could really hang with Georgia. I guess you would say Florida if you had to pick a team, but I don't really see it. Um, so you're hoping that Georgia coughs up a game and then loses in the SEC championship so that there's not, they're not a one loss SEC champ having knocked off an undefeated Alabama or vice versa. You're hoping Texas A&M is able to, to beat Alabama, but the way Alabama looked, I don't see anybody beating them. I think this is all a race for second place, but what I'm saying is the strength of schedule. I say is ruining the NC because you have a lot of teams that would be one and oh right now and, and really ultimately make it great. And yes, it was a great one. Great. We won, but then we're turning around and LSU is playing McNeese state. Uh, Alabama is playing Mercer. Like Georgia is playing UAB. Like that's what we have such an exciting week one for these teams to turn around and play that. Like if we want to do the strength of schedule argument, then power five teams should only get one out one out of power five conference opponent on their schedule because I know that's the way some of these smaller schools make money. But if we want to do that, then every power five school gets one outside of power five. So any anybody else outside of the power five gets one game. So like if Alabama plays Mercer, everybody else is power five conference. Everybody else, every opponent. I don't care if they play Oregon State and then SEC. Everybody has to be a power five conference because the strength of schedule for you to have to open up week one and your season essentially not being in your hands 
because you're playing strong opponents or whatever, and then going to roll over and play McNeese State, like like Ohio State goes and they, they open up on the road, and then they play against Oregon. Now, granted, they have a watered-down schedule for the next three games, but I don't like that for Ohio State either. Like, you open up, and, and I love playing Oregon. I love playing Minnesota. Like, I love that, but I don't love that after that. We play like we play. I, I don't. I don't even remember the day, but it's like we play irrelevant out of power five teams. They're out of conference, and we're gonna run through them. Like even if we beat Oregon, like that's three games in a row you run through them. And so if Oregon doesn't pan out now, that game doesn't seem as great. If Minnesota doesn't pan out now, that game doesn't seem as great. And so and then through five, like you still haven't proven anything. If Oregon flops after losing to Ohio State, if Minnesota flops from here on out through five games, like those wins aren't even as strong as they once looked. So, like I said, I do think the strength of schedule is ruining the NCAA. And it's not because I don't think they should go back to being weak, but I think you should either go back to playing r- playing your rollover team, getting the kinks and nicks out, getting actual game time and getting game reps, and then kicking off in week two, playing somebody really strong, these these national champion contenders playing these power five. And even if it is Ohio State schedules Oregon State and Alabama schedules Vanderbilt plays the SEC team or, or they go and schedule Rutgers. Like, okay, still power five, probably 0% chance of an upset, but even still, like it keeps it in that power five. I'm not saying after week one, Alabama needs to schedule Ohio state, Penn state, LSU, Florida, Georgia, Oregon, USC, Oklahoma. Like I'm not saying that's what the schedule needs to look like, but they need to pick and choose on how they're going to use the strength of schedule argument. And, and are we going to use it where, if you open up the season and then have some rollovers the next three to four weeks and then play in the conference play through the rest of the season, that's valid because people are still not validating their worth through the first five weeks because they've had three rollover opponents and they've ultimately Clemson has ultimately lost out on the ball being in their court. Now they need things to shape their way. And I know like, yes, it's only week one, a one loss team has gotten in. Yes. But now like, with losing to Georgia, Georgia could be undefeated, losing the SEC championship in a close game to undefeated Alabama. And now, like, Georgia could still get the nod because they have that W over Clemson in week one, even though neither of these two teams will be the same team at week 13, week 14, as they will be in week one. But Georgia will have that argument, and they will use it, especially for the beloved SEC. And the fact that what we saw from the ACC, the ACC is not going to be very good. So now some of these good games, and decent games that Clemson had on their schedule is not strong at all. So I just want people to think about that when they always talk about the strength of schedule and then they always give all the credit to SEC and like, well, because our conference is the best, y'all don't play anybody. Well, you know, like these sched- these conferences were built based on location. So like you could say Ohio State needs to come to SEC, but where does a Midwest team traveling five or six times to the South ever make sense? Like, how about Bama come to the Midwest? How about they come to the Big Ten? And every other week they travel to Michigan. They have to travel to Michigan and Wisconsin back to back just because. That makes no geographical sense. And that is why these were set in place. That's why these conferences were set in place. I ultimately hate that argument. But then the strength of schedules, if you don't play an SEC team, you play nobody. So they, they need to get where the strength of schedule is actually going to make sense. But I'm done with my rant. Listen, I haven't done a solo show in a while, so please give me some feedback. Let me know how I did. I appreciate everybody for tuning in, listening. Like I said, again, make sure you go to offtheballnetwork.com for all your sports needs and entertainment. And on that note, Up in Flames is out.